H-A-T-E. It was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. It's the most horrible thing I've ever seen in my life. What is up, Criteria Creeps? You're listening to Cry Fear a Cast, the podcast you listen to when you're being chased downstream by a mad preacher who's just slit your mother's throat and dropped her in the bottom of the lake. I am your host, AJ. It's a play on AJ. I'm your other host, Goob. That one should be pretty obvious. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, and it is officially that time of year when fear rules the land, when our dreams become nightmares, and when movie podcasts are obligated to cover scary movies. The first such movie we will be covering during this sacred holiday season is Charles Lawton's underseen gem, The Night of the Hunter. TNOH stars Robert Mitchum as a serial killer who poses as a preacher and charms an unsuspecting widow to get his hands on $10,000 in stolen bank loot hidden by her executed husband. And here to tell us the story of Right Hand, Left Hand is filmmaker, producer for Two Lemon, and hawker for Dairy Alternative Drink, Sam Penniless. All right. First you had the hand of Cain, who had hate written onto his hand. But then, oh, here comes love, and here comes a, a struggle for the fate of all of humanity. Uh, it's good to be here, uh, Jay and Goob. Yeah, did, wait, did you come up with that? Like, Yeah, I was really... Yeah, on, on the spot. Uh, I was just talking to my friend uh, Spike the other day uh and then uh we were just like hey you know we just got to talk about love and hate in a little bit uh, our other friend charles was just walking past uh, and he was just like what if they and the hands wrestled each other that's insane someone should make a movie about your life i mean maybe they already have <laughs> your life a freaking it's- movie my boy got engaged in italy which welcome to the show for the first time sam we've been trying to get you on for a while now we almost had you on this summer and then fucking cinema span went and sniped us they, uh, they took over, and listen, I'm not saying that uh, Hot Fuzz and Hot Rod are not equally comparable in artistry to Cold War, but, you know, uh, apples and oranges. It would have been nice to be there, but I'm glad I'm here now. Hot take, yeah, you honestly, got the better movies. Yeah, you really did, honestly. <laughs> my, my quick 60-second take, Cold War, I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's great. It's very short, does its job, gets in, gets out. It's a little thin on actual character relationship because it is 80 minutes long uh but for what it does fantastic movie yeah and that's all been cut because we have to sound right um (laughs) yeah welcome to the show sam uh i love hearing you talk about movies and i'm excited to have you on to talk about this movie uh do we have any opening thoughts on this little picture um opening thoughts i watched it for the first time a few years ago and i actually didn't like it that much when i first uh watched it i was just like People say that this is an unsung masterpiece. And I was like, yeah, there's good performances. I get what it's doing. And then when I watched the sec- this second time around for the podcast, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is actually this is actually really good. Like it actually has like stuff that holds up and stuff that really, uh, not to harp everybody's points, but revolutionized the cinematography game. It's uh, got shots. But- it's yeah. got shots. Yeah, this movie's got shots. It's got shadows. It's also got a plot. Gabe, you want to get us into La Plate? Yeah, let's get cracking. Um, so it's important. Uh, it's just like a you know general background for the film. It's set in 1932, and it's kind of loosely based on a real-world murderer. Um, Harry Powers uh, is a stand-in, or the actual character that Harry Powell is based on. Uh, getting into the plot, 
Nettle Hunter opens up with a disembodied head of a Sunday school teacher quoting the book of Matthew to several disembodied heads of, you know, little boys, and they're all floating in space. Uh, the chosen verse does a touch of foreshadowing about the plot. Uh, it's also with the famous uh, phrases, uh, wolves in the sheep's clothing and a bad tree bareth corrupt fruit originate. Uh, it's a fun fact for all of you. Can you spot uh, the wolves in this picture? <laughs> I get that right. Uh, they the quickly transitions into the worst game of hide-and-seek ever as these little boys find the very poorly hidden corpse of a woman just kind of halfway in the cellar door. Uh, and then we get to the film's antagonist, Henry Powell, as he drives down the highway in the murdered widow's car. He confers with God and asks, is he doing a good job killing all these widows? Isn't that pretty sweet? Um, we get over to the Harper's residence where we see this idyllic scene of both John and Pearl playing in the yard. He were confronted by their father, Ben, who uh, very quickly hops out the whip with one gun in the hand and 10,000 in the other. And he just pr tries to hide the money as desperately as he can, but uh, is quickly uh, uh, arrested by the cops. That make you feel nostalgic, Gabe? Yeah, good old pops. I was going to say for when you robbed a bank and killed people. Oh, no, my dad. That's 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 him. I, oh, I also him? floated down the river as a kid. Iowa oh, wow. City River. <laughs> and I married Gabe's mom. <laughs> yeah, he's a motherfucker right here. Wow, this movie really captured your lives. Yeah, it really, my life a movie for real. Uh, fortunately, um, on his way into town, he stops at a, well, uh, you can tell this is the first time I've been given responsibilities for La Plata, and I'm still kind of struggling the transition. Uh, so, yeah, he stops at the, like, uh, is burlesque, it? Show. burlesque show. Yeah, yeah, and he's just, like, seething mad, like, oh, all these goddamn sinners, which I have to imagine is, like, every burlesque show has at least one person in the audience who's just like, I would kill everyone on Earth for you, Lord. Every single burlesque show? Like, I think there's, like, every single burlesque strip club, there's one person in the audience who's just, like, taxi driver in his mind, who's just like, <laughs> All of these filthy people will be washed from the face of the earth. Yeah, the, the knife boner was a really weird piece of uh, cinematography <laughs> on that one. I don't know if you guys caught that. I, yeah, heard, I, I heard the knife like click, but I couldn't tell if that was meant to be like a, a symbol for his uh, boner that he wants to chop off, or if it was like him ready to just go to the stage and just kill a woman. Little column A, little column B. I think it's, yeah. I don't know. I think it's weird, misplaced, like, sexual frustration. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to make sense of this fucking weirdo, though. Um, fortunately, he's quickly apprehended by the police. Uh, they just yeah. kind of show up. Unfortunately, they, they catch him for the wrong crime, and it's just Grand Theft Auto. So he quickly finds his way into jail, where he's also uh, been put in the same prison cell as a man on death row. Kind of unrealistic, but whatevs. Uh, yeah, he, he, he bumps into Ben Harper. Uh, yeah, so he is cellmates with Ben, our two children's father, who just uh, robbed, what was it, like a bank? Yeah, he so robbed a bank. bank. Robbed a bank, yeah. stole $10,000, hid it somewhere that he hasn't confessed to. And yeah, he's on death row, and our preacher is serving 30 days, but naturally they're bunkmates. And while he's talking in his sleep, the dad's like, I hit the money, it's in, it's in the... It's hidden in, and he's like, where is it? Where is it? And uh, so our Harry Powell gets an idea that as soon as old Ben gets executed, he's going to go marry his widow and steal the money. Get back to his like widow murdering ways. So once you kill widow, you never go back. Yeah, you've already you killed one. Might as well just you know keep going. It's like eating Pringles. You can't just pop one. 
Yeah, and there's only f- there's 15 in a serving anyway, so that's probably when you stop. All right, what happens next, Gabe? Upon his release from prison, like he said, he goes back to the, hi- the, the tiny hometown where he charms town's folks and woos uh, Harper's widow, Willa. Uh, she's a waitress uh, for the Spoon, or for Walter Spoon, and uh, his wife, Icy, if I'm recalling the names right. Um, also, hey, her, her name's really Icy Spoon. Icy <laughs> Spoon, yeah. <laughs> I'm just also, on the Wikipedia. I didn't realize her name was fucking Icy Spoon. <laughs> What a what a bunch of miserable fucks those two turn out to be. I fucking hated them. Um, but yeah, overnight Powell manages to win the town's trust and weds Willa. Like, was that was that actually in the span of a day? I don't think it was meant to be in a day. They portray it like it could be, but it has time has to have passed. Yeah, yeah. Because he he served thirty days in prison, but like he hops out there and gets to work real quick on that town. I know they go to like one barbecue and it's like I'm gonna be your father now. <laughs> uh. Yeah, after uh, he gets, uh, he, he tries, on, on their wedding night, he try, he refuses to consummate his marriage with Willa uh, and deludes her into, like, uh, thinking that she's sinful and he has, she has to redeem herself by preaching with him on the road. He really gaslit, he gaslit the fuck out of her on that one. Uh, yeah, and you could tell, she was so disappointed with that. Like, when, he's, when he was like, yeah, we're not sleeping together, she's like, what the fuck? I'm devastated. Yeah, man. Uh... It's rough. It's rough out there for ladies back then. Like you're already getting so few orgasms in your life now to just know you're not going to get any at all. And I mean, it probably was great with a guy who was, you know, willing to rob a bank and kill people. There's probably a lot of excitement in there. So to go from criminal to preacher man who won't even look at you, it's a, it's a, say, let's just say the West Virginia turned into a desert that day. It was a real dust bowl. (laughs) There was a great depression, if you know what I mean um yeah uh poor willa poor willa not the last injustice she shall face no far from it so yeah um quick uh following that uh they go on the little spree of visiting towns and preaching about how her uh desire for perfumes and dresses drove her husband into uh murdering men and stealing money um uh, from there we also uh she he uh powell becomes far more um threatening with her children, which she catches on to when she walks in on the one night, uh, just basically ripping the arm off her daughter. Very. She kind of ignores um, it, though, really. She's just like, oh, he's yeah. playing with the kids. Yeah, by throwing yeah. them in a the closet. I feel like she just, at that point, knows it's a lost cause and is like, well, hopefully he kills me before I have to watch my kids get killed. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not year. getting fucked. Uh, I'm probably going to die. Apparently well, I'm full of It's skin. the old times. Yeah, had a lot. To, yeah, you really had a lot to live for back then. Honestly, not even like probably the top five worst depression era families. <laughs> no, no also, um, I kind of glazed over this fact, but I really that was just like classic nineteen thirties sexism when he goes to his nine year old son and says, "Here's the money. I trust you with it." As opposed to my fully like like my full adult wife who should be making all the decisions for the family now. He's like, "No, my nine year old son." He should bear all this responsibility. I mean, she is kind of a poor judge of character. So I, maybe she's yeah. shown signs in the past that he's like, maybe she's not the most trustworthy. She will marry a man she meets at a barbecue. I, I do just <laughs> okay. wonder like, what, they were, what the plan was, like giving the money to the kids, because it's already stolen money. He got shot. He's most likely going to die. Like at that point, just be like, oh, have the money. I'll give you the money back, and maybe you can take some time off my sentence. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's not thinking straight. Maybe he was still hoping he would bust out of that joint. Yeah, he did murder two people. I kind of glossed over that as well. Prisons were also a lot easier to escape from back then. Like, you just needed a, a change of clothes is basically all. You needed one for the road, and you needed a shovel, and you could pretty much be a new man. Also, yeah, about being a new man, all you have to do is get, like, one outfit and act like you're a good guy, even if you have a knife and tattoos on your hand. And, like, they'll be like, oh, what an upstanding gentleman, this guy with tattoos on his hands of hate and love. Oh, yeah, he even, yeah, he's even showed the, the switchblade in prison. It's very easy to just get in and out of there with your weapons. Yeah, dude literally has, like, evil tattooed on a part of his body. I and mean, he's like, oh, what a nice <laughs> young man. Look at his knife. <laughs> he, does, he does have a good voice, though. Got a great voice. Back, back yes. then, that went a long way. I mean, that's half of preaching. It's just sounding good. It's just when you can do this, you can talk like this and say about anything to anyone, and people will believe you be getting children. Okay, so after the uh, the uh, very abusive home situation, the children attempt to escape this uh, now increasingly aggressive Powell. Um, they seek refuge with their uncle, Bertie. I didn't know they were related. I don't think they are. Uh, he's drunk himself into a stupor after having found their mother murdered in the bottom of the river. So they begin to quickly try to sail downstream, just desperately trying to get away from uh, Powell. Fucking eerie ass segment of the movie, them going downstream. Like it's clearly on a soundstage, but I, that adds to the kind of like expressionist off putting vibes. Like it feels like a bad dream. Yeah. So, and cutting to all the animals that are there with the soundtrack of uh, uh, whatever that song is called. Uh, being sung by a four-year-old, but clearly dubbed by an adult woman. Yeah, it goes from like, <laughs> yes, yes, Philia, my name is Paul, to when we were young. That, that took me out of it for a second. Yeah, that was, that was, no, but um, I think a little, a, a funny thing to note is all the animals that were um, passing them by were all prey, which I think was meant to symbolize how they're the prey of this psycho that's chasing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of symbolism, I don't know. <laughs> Gabe, your your tour is showing. Uh. <laughs> yeah, of course. Though uh, the children um, do manage to get and make an escape, but they have to stay on the run um, as Powell uh, gets mistaken. Well, uh, a little a little funny thing. Um, they accuse, there's this talk around town of what he's just escaped of this this gypsy band that murdered and knifed a man for a horse, a farmer for a horse, and then you see, of course. Uh, Powell off top of a horse chasing them down. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, it really uh, shows just how being a white man, you could get away with basically anything. Like if you were in jail in the 30s and you were a white man, you were really bad at doing crime because you could get away with fucking anything. The man murders his wife and he's just like, <laughs> she ran away. She left no note. Well, <laughs> and everyone's like, you poor man. He's clearly bad at crimes because he kills that other woman at the beginning of the movie and just leaves her at the top of the cellar. Like, he's not yeah. good at these murders. Well, because he knows they're just going to give him 30 days. He's like, all right, I'll get a month with some free food and then be on my way again to a new town where I'll kill someone else and their children and then just keep going because I'm a dude. Also, he, with any sign of resistance, he really, like, is totally outmatched. Like, the children manage to, like, drop a jar in his head and walk away. In a kind of a slapstick sequence where they dropped a jar in his head and closed his hand in the door, and he was just like, "Well, I'm defeated. They got away." You guys, did you guys watch the Obi Wan miniseries? No. Um, I watched as much as I could physically handle. There's that one. There's a one sequence where the baby Princess Leia is running away from like the assassins, and that it did feel a little bit like that in a couple points where 
clearly Robert Mitchum's just like slowing himself down so that these kids can manage to sneak away. I think that's literally the point in Obi-Wan where I tapped out was when baby Leia showed up. I was like, oh, this is just going to be like glorp shit. The show is just gonna be like, remember this? Remember baby Leia? Yep, you're uh, about 60 to 85% of the way there with exactly what it was. I started watching just because I wanted to see the Benny Safdie Jedi, and that didn't disappoint. Oh, that wait, was whoa, very funny. Yeah, Benny Safdie plays a Jedi in Obi-Wan Kenobi. But I'll start I, for I, the first yeah. episode only. Oh, that's unfortunate. There's a really funny <laughs> shot. Of, you just like see him in the background going like this with his hand. Just like... That might be worth it, and oh, like that—that that might be enough for me to try to give it a shot alone. But uh, yeah, no, I—I I saw, I think I saw a little bit of the Mandalorian, and I didn't—I did not get the hype. I was like, I'm good. I'm gonna cancel my subscription. More like Mandasnorian. I, I don't oh, know. Got him. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, Bob Iger's about to go drown in a lake in his car. About to go have uh, a wish. cut on his neck like another mouth. I'm gonna kill you, Bob Iger. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> It's, I don't. This, I don't care if you came to a deal with the fucking Writers Guild. You didn't come to a deal with me. This is the character Jay saying this. This is not a real person threatening another real person. This is simply character work. No, this is everyone on this podcast co-signing my threat right now. <laughs> nah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's fine. So, um, the children finally do manage to like crash aboard uh, a safe spot with Rachel uh, Cooper, who is kind of a adoptive mother for several other children she very uh graciously just takes them in without a second thought uh she then kind of starts trying to go make them more civilized again they kind of got wild out there uh making them do chores clean up uh wash themselves off uh powell though does manage to track them down and uh tries to go back to his like deceptive ways of the whole like preacher i'm such a he tries the whole hand thing again and uh, she saw right through that bullshit. I know. I don't even know how that worked on the that those like other townspeople. But yeah, she just yanks out a shotgun on him and says "fuck off," and uh, he very quickly does. But comes back at night. Um, also, really stupid. Uh, in that sequence, he goes, "I'll be back at dark." It's like, okay, I will be ready. I have a shotgun. This does not, that does not change anything that it's nighttime. Um, he does try to he does try to like break his way into the house all right all right hold it's, on you condensed a lot on, we, we need a break here yeah, to yeah. talk about some of this shit okay yeah, i like how immediately right after getting off the boat she's just like you get on up there and do your chores go get bathed and just starts hitting him with a branch okay. just, there's no there's no moment where she's like oh are you okay she's like god damn it another kid all right fine you're one of mine now get going yeah that's a, that's a sign of motherly love is just beating the shit out of your kids but in the 1930s that might have been actually a it's also like a little bit where like the way that he finds them is that he befriends one of the other kids that's uh living with uh, oh, uh the woman that. and like kind of tries to romance her and i think the actress is like an adult but it feels like she's supposed to be playing like 13 14 so it gets yeah. a little weird creepy and she like apparently her backstory is that she goes she pretends she's going to like sewing club every thursday yeah. but then just kind of like hangs out with the boys around town she goes to the soda joint with the boys it seems like an interesting uh choice to be like here's this child who is flouncing around there's good movie a lot of good stuff we've got to talk a little bit about how they treat women uh in this movie because it is uh sometimes off-putting i mean is it the way the movie treats women though or the way this 
character yeah, does. It's the it's the situations that they put the women in that then allow them the opportunities to be taken advantage of by uh, these men. Yeah, they aren't the strongest yeah. in terms of just like moral fortitude. Oh, um, no, Miss, Mrs. Again, Cooper just... certainly is. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think I don't know if it's fully like the movie sets them up to be sexist because they do have at least Rachel Cooper, who you know she is like the mother role, but she's competent. Yeah, um, yeah Will is not the strongest in terms of like female representation. No, yeah. I mean, Pearl is pretty much leading the pack in terms of like strong female characters. My name's Pearl. <laughs> I don't know. No, she doesn't. She trusts that man yeah. right away. She doesn't use any yeah. kind of judgment. Yeah, yeah but she Some she she idiot. sticks up for her brother. She's not gonna rat on her brother. John told us sin. John lied. <laughs> uh, that woman, just fun fact, is still alive and worked as like a teacher and like a school administrator for like sixty years. What? I I hope none of her students ever found out about this movie because if I found out one of my teachers was in this, I would constantly go, "Yeah, just fooling." My name's Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my doll. It's in my doll. Yeah. Uh, we want to talk about women anymore. Uh, we can get into women if we want to get out once the once the synopsis is is yeah. over with. We're we're close <laughs> to the end. Yeah. Get um, get going so that we can talk about the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> So um, obviously uh, he comes back at night um, in probably in the most inept way, just like barges in the house with a knife and goes, give me, give me the kids. And she just shoots him, which is, it's like, yeah, no shit. That was going to happen. She has a gun. You have a knife. Uh, yeah, he, 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 gets, he gets himself shot and gets himself trapped in the barn, which also confuses me to a point where it's like, you could have hopped back on your horse and rode away. I don't know why you, anyways, um, but yeah, he uh, quickly gets arrested and handcuffed. Um, and then we very quickly um, see uh, the trauma, I guess, of young John, where he kind of reenacts his father getting arrested um, and uh, starts giving the guy the money. I didn't, I didn't quite get the connection on that. I, I'd be grateful to see that guy go to jail, but I don't know. This movie um, doesn't have a lot of good uh, male protagonists either in terms of everyone's yeah, just 30. like a swindler and oh, a yeah. drunk idiot. Equal I think that opportunity, might be... bad gender. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so he quickly gets hauled off to prison. Um, they, they cut to the trial of uh, John being put on the stand and trying, they're trying to get a confession or some kind of uh, accusation out of him. Uh, he's apparently too t- uh, traumatized to even look at Powell, which is kind of understandable. Guy has been tormenting him for unspecified amount of time. And uh, uh, it cuts to them getting ready to lynch uh, Powell and uh, Take that for what you will. But unfortunately, it ends in, ends in a very happy Christmas note of everyone getting their desired presents. Happy ending for everybody. Jesus is good. The happy, tra- you know, most traumatic nightmare fuel for the rest of the movie. And then it's like, well, trust in the Lord. Yeah. And happy Christmas. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Uh, is that all you got for La Plate? Uh, yeah, that's what I can remember. Yeah, that's that's the plate to me. That sounds pretty much like it. There's uh, Uncle Birdie's in a few other scenes, but I think it's just because they want to keep establishing that there's a boat that these kids are gonna go yeah. row down. Yeah, not a very well developed character. <laughs> He's just like Uncle Birdie's here. We're fixing up your boat, and someday soon you'll be able to sail this boat wherever you want. You'll be able to <laughs> sail away from the antagonist of this movie. Yeah, 
Well, also, it's like he he sees their mother dead in the water and then just goes, well, I'm going to drink myself stupid. Yeah, he does have probably what I would consider the most memorable scene in this movie, the underwater shot of the yeah. mom with her hair flowing. So fucking unsettling. And also, he didn't bury that car very deep. Like, he can he can just see <laughs> yeah. her from the yeah. water, which is probably like that's, four feet up. That's a very, very clear, like, Blake right there. Yeah. I think we're just used so used in our day to so much pollution. I bet lakes were probably a lot yeah. easier to see in uh, previous to the last. Yeah, because all these years. fucking dead bodies started polluting them. That's why we can't <laughs> yeah, see they, shit anymore. They kept, they kept dropping all these cars with full tanks of gas in it, and it fucked all the water up. That's what it is. It's not my uh, twenty-minute showers. It's the it's the cars full of gas in the water. It's all the nights that, that have been hunted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll put that on the farmers real quick. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about the imagery of this movie? This movie got some good oh fucking God. imagery. Yes. Yeah. The chiaroscuro, the shadows, the one scene of the like staircase going into the basement is so unsettling. This movie reminds me of when I would have nightmares at my grandma's house because my grandma lives out in the country. So like I would have a nightmare and then I'd wake up and it's just nothing but like a train track and just like the night sky and farmland and that's almost more eerie. Just be like, okay, anyone could be standing behind that tree right now. The worst is cornfields when you're out, out in the country at night and it's just open cornfields around. You're like, what the fuck? This is, I don't like this at all. And I didn't grow up with enough, uh, with enough uh, rural areas. I was in uh, very urban Florida and then moved straight out to urban Los Angeles to experience these shadowy uh, uh, farmlands. Got a city boy. Got a city boy. <laughs> Yeah, but this has like the vibe of just everything I was scared of as a kid, just being helpless to some weird Christian man who Ooh, yeah. you can you know is like sus. It's like it's very courage the cowardly dog, honestly, the vibes of this, where it's like the only people that realize that there's a monster is the one who has absolutely no power. You know, the the basement shot that stuck to me was the, the one where he cause it in the same line as the monster part where he's like climbing up the stairs and doing like the Nosferatu pose, like while he's going up, which don't, I don't, I, I get what they were going for. I didn't love the scene itself, but it's such a striking image to watch a scary man strike like a pose with his arms chasing these kids. And the yeah. only thing lighting them is just like the moonlight from outdoors. You, you also kind of mentioned this earlier, uh, Samuel, but it was that one kind of very expressionistic shot where he's reaching up to the sky with his like left hate hand. I, yeah. I know I saw a lot of expressionism in that shot. Um, or when he's like about to stab Willa and the room is all of a sudden just like a hundred feet tall yeah yeah well and I mean that scene just has so much and there's so much to talk about with Willa herself but they you know lit it so she's perfectly like lit around her entire body as if she's like all right she's like in her casket already and the only light is just shining on her body yeah so when we're shadowing when Literally. I first saw the description of this film, I, it said noir, and I was like, well, I don't know about all that. This does not look like a noir film in the slightest, because like the first opening shots are in the daylight. But as it progresses, it, it 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 very much gets in that noir trend. And this sequence behind me, the the river sequence, I feel like also kind of emphasizes. It's definitely noir. got like noir elements. I don't know if I would classify this yeah. as a full blown noir. I know Wikipedia yeah. does, but it I'm does. smarter yeah. than them. Uh, yeah, the some of the inspirations for this yeah. were stuff that noir was born out of, like old silent films, uh, German expressionism. Uh, Fritz Lang's M was a big influence on this movie too. Movie we covered on this show. So yeah, the use of like shadow and light is definitely very noir. 
I feel like story-wise you can feel like the like DW Griffith of it all because it is like small and intimate with like you know it's pretty much just about a couple people but it feels in that epic uh I'll say intolerance as the movie of choice from DW Griffith where that was an influence (laughs) where it feels like there's just so much uh that he's trying to say but only including like you know a bad man and a couple kids to like do a like a haunted nursery rhyme type of thing yeah what was he said something it was like oh it was a nightmarish mother goose story is how he described it that makes sense it it feels like it's trying to uh do like a brother's grim teach these kids a lesson but also uh the priest is going to come after you and your new mom is going to be cool but she's also going to like hit you with a switch every once in a while yeah this is very like strul peter just like those fucking german fairy tales where everyone dies and the lesson is that you like shouldn't talk during church (laughs) (laughs) grim's tales yeah this this is very much like a grim's tale though for kids yeah yeah uh he's the wolf the wolf Wolf in sheep's clothing clothing? whoa what (laughs) he's Uh, not really in sheep's clothing like he literally has the word hate tattooed on him like he's giving himself away pretty pretty early on yeah but i do think it's like that kind of thing where if you were just christian like before the year 1960 like people will just be like oh you mean well like i it is something that i appreciated that they go out of their way to be like you know the the actual good parental figure is also very christian and she has her scripture stuff so they don't fully give in to the all christians are bad and the religion is bad it's it's a guy who's taking the name of god to do bad things and yeah. making it his own yeah it's different they're not the same at all mm-hmm. no one's ever done yeah. that and thought they were good that's my hot christianity take right there christian takes you're listening to christian takes that's a sizzling in hell you'd have a new segment every episode and just have a new hot christian take whether the movie has involves religion or not yeah so the blob is actually a metaphor for saint peter it's uh the blob of the holy spirit coming into your life and taking over the father son and holy blob (laughs) blob be with you um so yeah we talked about the imagery um Actually, no, we didn't talk enough about the imagery. This movie looks fucking yeah. amazing. This is one of it the is. best looking movies I've ever seen. It is uh, incredible. I, w- I would say, like, even the- there's certain parts where it's-, it's definitely all people and, you know, backgrounds or whatever, but especially the part where they're looking over the hill and they see the miniature version of Powell and the horse going over. Like, it's mm-hmm. a real person and a real horse, but, like, it feels like it's got that shadow puppet kind of vibe where it's got where it's still trying to like again in a kid's way like tell you a story but also creep you out because it's uh this shadowy stick figure type of thing it feels Uh, very theatrical like the it's the set you know whatever is off screen they just didn't make for the set you get as much as you need to tell that specific what that area is there's a lot left up to the imagination which is scarier fucking filmmakers take note sometimes the scariest stuff is the stuff that you don't see well uh, a little trivia in that shot you were mentioning there samuel it's uh that shot with the him the shadowed uh, figure of uh, powell on the horseback was actually i then I, I looked this up beforehand so i'm not bullshitting you was a uh, was apparently a, a small person on a on a, like a pony for that shot that's how they that- recreated that that makes sense because it would be very tough to actually film in a real field, get that far away and manipulate the light as such. So 
it makes sense to maybe have a a smaller person only 10 feet away and just control yeah. it that way yeah yeah oh. that's great i love those cinematic tricks like very bram stoker's dracula where the just trick itself also adds to the unsettling nature where it's like your brain can tell something's not quite right here like why do none of these rooms have any features beyond just the shadows on the wall i don't know why it's scary oh if we're doing scary stuff uh what's everyone's like what what parts like genuinely like terrified or like had a jump scare type effect for you guys um, I can go first. So for me, yeah. I was never there was never a moment where I was like, <laughs> but um, I'll do that again uh, just so I can get a clean take. <laughs> uh, the... Sorry, we actually weren't rolling on that one. Can you do it one more time? Yeah. Oh. All right, we got it. <laughs> All right. Uh, what the fuck was I saying? Oh yeah. So basically, the parts that kind of unnerve me the most are them going downstream, even though that's like not supposed to be the scary intense part it's just feels so wrong like they're so vulnerable to the world you you know there's still someone chasing them like off in the distance and every now and then when you hear uh his him saying like leaning leaning that stuff unnerves me the shadow when he first like goes up to their farm when john just sees like his shadow and he's like there's a man out there but he's in complete dark that shit creeps me out um oh and also the underwater shot that's like easily one of the yeah. most unsettling images in that's a movie we've pick. covered at least yeah. yeah that was that was that was my pick was the underwater shot it was like yeah very serene yet disturbing the uh yeah the effects of like the, the both the tall grass and her hair blowing throughout the currents of the water that was definitely upsetting yeah i like because i think they start with just showing the the seagrass yeah. and like to that i was like oh no is that like you already can tell that that's her, meant to be her hair like you can tell that they're showing you that that's what's going on and uh that's a good filmmaking mr charles lawton yeah you should have made more movies too bad he only made this one too bad everyone hated it in 1955 so we yeah everyone needed to learn one. to fucking hang yeah. back then jesus christ are there any other moments that scare you guys sam do you have any other moments we haven't talked about that give uh, you the chills I mean, the definitely the underwater shot is the most uh, effective one for me, and uh, the motif of leaning uh, is good. I it's almost it's not so super like scary, scary, but how quickly uh, Shelley Winter's character like just turns and is like, "Oh, I am a sinner. I am bad, and yeah. I need to be fixed." Like every time she would, she only did it a couple times, but like when she would talk about how she needed mm -hmm. to change and things were like that whether it was in front of the crowd or just to uh powell it was super unsettling because it it felt very real especially to uh modern-esque cults uh that i was like oh this this makes sense this is how people get turned and indoctrinated uh because like i think the was the was the mob at the very end i don't think that wasn't for powell though right that was for that was for the kids because they were like they liked powell so they were trying to lynch the the family no, they were trying to lynch know. the they were trying to lynch powell they were yeah. it they, was just um, so weird because they like were walking by with torches and then they go to the restaurant that they're in so and they're um, like it's you yeah i i see like the old you know the woman from the ice cream shop noticed the kids in the window and just barged in and started being like these kids were wronged we should hang this guy it's like he's already gonna be hung you guys are insane 
I hated that character. Icy, icy, spoon. icy spoon. When she's going Fuck off about how spoon. women don't actually want sex, like God yeah, didn't no. intend yeah. for women so, to like it. Well, I mean, really, like it. yeah. I, I was gonna bring up scenes that made you laugh. Um, obviously there was that slapstick scenes in the face. That made man. us laugh. <laughs> yeah, I know this is Funny supposed movie. to be like it. Yeah, I, I got some laughs. It was uh, icy talking about how her husband can't satisfy her and how she doesn't like sex. I was like, yeah, oh, he's just like standing right there. <laughs> well, and he's also just calling yeah. her mother the whole time too. Like he's yeah. early Mike Pence, <laughs> mommy. Ugh. It was so weird. Yeah, it, it, it didn't. It didn't feel like a mommy fetish. It felt like she was his mom. Yeah, back then she might have been. It was the old times. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I think the basement sequence was really funny. Um, just how. I think also the some of the audio. I mean, it's just what they were working with at the time. But yeah, so there were some audio bits like when he got shot and they looped his scream three times in a row as he's mm-hmm. running out the door. <laughs> I kind of got a giggle out of that too. Mm-hmm. I kind of like how uh, kind of chintzy this movie is in certain aspects. I think that also adds to the creep factor when it's like you could tell that they were working with as much as they had. And that they're like reusing stuff. Uh, a lot of the times, the like audio is not super perfect, and it just makes it, I don't know, feel off. It works for some bits. There's, uh, I think, the things that made me laugh were some of the weird editing choices because they would just kind of like, not even skip chunks of time, like you know, scene to scene. It's like the part at the end when uh, uh, John is like, you know, beaten on palace. He's getting arrested, and then all of a sudden, the like. Uh, uh, Mrs. Cooper's like scoops him up and he's just fully passed out and it's like oh all right in the in the half a beat second time from him beating him with a doll filled with money I guess he fell asleep which clearly is just they didn't get the right shot of him passing out and falling asleep or whatever they're like you know what we're just gonna roll with it but you know back then they're like people are going to see this movie once and never again who fucking cares Exactly. You can get away with it and it feels like it could be artistic and they'll forget about it. Yeah, and then no one saw the movie anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yep. Except for us, then we're going to drag it through the mud. Yeah, we're cool guys. You guys want to get into Production Linden? Yeah. Production Linden. Production Linden is the part of the show where we talk about the production. All of these segments are named after movies we've covered very sweatily. Um, so this but is why production Linden. That doesn't sound like Barry in any look. Way, you know, <laughs> somebody said somebody said it. Yeah, I was probably I was just riffing on the spot. I was like, oh shit, we didn't name this segment. Um, a pr- 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 production of the Hunter. Uh, no, fucking... there was a lot of pressure because he got a, He got a banger with Marianne Marianne Trivia Net. Yeah, you can't even fucking yeah. say it. it's Marie and Trivia Night. Dude, that I, was dude, not a banger. Maybe, maybe that's your fault that I can't say it. Maybe it's not that good. Like, you. Yeah, you got a banger. Great title. Ma- Mary, fuck, what's it called? What's it called? I don't know, dude. Now, that's easily our most sweaty uh, segment title, Marie and Trivia Net. But we're not there yet. We're on Production Linden, which is a great title, and everyone <laughs> agrees. Uh, Harold Matson, a literary agent, sent a copy of the 1953 novel The Night of the Hunter by Davis Grubb to Paul Gregory, who sent the book to Lawton. Lawton loved it and described it as a nightmarish mother goose story. Uh, James Agee was hired as a screenwriter because he was from the South and had experience writing about the Depression. Agee's original script ended with a shot of the children's faces floating among the stars, which was eventually moved to the start, which I want to talk about that. I don't know if you guys have seen Over the Garden Wall. This movie, mm. oh my god, so much of Over the Garden Wall is this movie. 
That's so I'm drawing a I'm I'm drawing a blank. I haven't seen that one, so maybe yeah. Yeah, Over the Garden Wall is like a, a mini series from uh that was on Cartoon Network. Uh and it's got a similar kind of structure where it's like two kids off on a journey on their own and like they're not necessarily being like hunted by anything in particular. The beast. Later on, you find you find the beast uh, coming through, and it's a, a a scary image from the hellscape nightmare. If you pause on the exact frame that you can oh actually God, see no. its body, uh, but yeah, I I can see that for sure. Like with parallels to it, especially with it being you know two kids who are siblings trying to find their way through the woods. But yeah, just that shot of the kids' heads in the stars is like recreated basically verbatim and over the garden wall with like these little cherubs. The scene where they're on the little boat going down the lake you see that like three different times in over the garden wall gabe watch over the garden wall it's great it's only 10 episodes long each episode's like 10 minutes you could binge it tonight it's perfect fall movie it's not a movie it's a mini series but yeah it's great but you can i had a a friend in uh, college who took the episodes and edited it together so it could be played like a movie so he took out all the credits and like strung the music together so that when an episode ended it just felt like a like a scene transition so i think if I could find that link, I'll send it to you guys because it's a it's a good way to watch it. I would want it. I would want to keep the title cards though. You know, are think, they different every time? Or are they like unique? Or yeah, they're unique I enough. Say, but but like, the music's just so good. Where the fuck was I? Um, uh, production Linden. Yeah, everyone's favorite segment. Throughout 1954, Gregory worked with the Production Code Administration to change the script to meet the guidelines of the Production Code. There was much concern about depicting a preacher on screen as an evil person, and Gregory made an effort to make the character of the Reverend not appear to be real ordained minister. Eventually, the script was approved, but Protestant groups who had read the script continued to object to the film's production. Fucking Protestants can't hang. Yeah. I don't know. He's gonna tarnish the like the imagery of Protestants in particular. I don't like what's what's up Protestants. <laughs> he didn't really say what the he he said. I'm from no denomination. I don't know how they stayed. stayed yeah, he's like the the religion that the Lord and me have worked betwixt us. It's it's the way that everything gets mad these days. Is they don't actually watch anything. They just hear about something, and it's like, aha, this is gonna be bad for us. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that, brother. Oh, uh, well no prepared. <laughs> While preparing for the filming, Lawton studied silent films by viewing their original nitrate prints, including The Birth of a Nation, Intolerance, and The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Hmm. I've got the Intolerance one. I didn't want to mention Birth of a Nation uh, because it's, uh, you know. I've never seen it. Is it good? Yeah. What's your take? Uh, I mean, I would give it a solid, like, you know, 5.5 out of 10. uh, Solid production value, but the story could really use a big rewrite. Because it's literally about the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, that's not just about them. They are the heroes. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're not like we're also not like canceling like the general from Buster Keaton, even though the hero's on the Confederate side, and it's about how he stops the Union like in the middle of a battle and crashes one of their trains and kills so many Union soldiers. I mean, you know, that one's uh, I think a little more forgivable than like. Birth of a Nation, which literally restarted the Ku Klux yeah. Klan. Like the general, yeah, yeah. it's just I don't know. It, <laughs> That's about it's more very about much war. like it's yeah, barely it's, it's, about the war. It's yeah, just like a I backdrop. The the movie itself uh, has bad stuff in equal measure, but the Birth of a Nation 
caused a real bad problem in real life <laughs> yeah birth of a nation has actual yeah. like hate built into the text the general is yeah. just he liked being on trains and he needed like a backdrop for it which you know buster could have picked a better uh, group to associate with but at least from my memory of the general i didn't think there was anything like overtly racist it was just like oh dude come on not not the right side yeah you seen the general gabe haven't no it's a blind it's spot a, for me it's an old buster keaton movie it's about a about a train conductor who joins the confederacy but it's like it's, it's actually a good movie but it is uh just a, a lot to take in when you realize that you're supposed to be rooting for the confederacy if you're on the protagonist side yeah, I was always more yeah. of a Charlie Chaplin guy personally, but it's good. It's got a great, you know, great stunts. Buster Keaton, one thing he's known for is fucking stunts. Yep. I think uh, I think my favorite depiction of the Civil War on screen is the good and the bad and the ugly, where it's just a backdrop and you're like, yeah, this is going on. Anyways, let's go find this fucking money. Yeah. I mean, they spend the whole, like, an entire sequence where they're just, like, trying to get across from one way to the other. It's like, okay, if you win the battle, we can get where we need to go. So just win the battle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're in the way. Like, the Civil War gets in the way of their treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love that, where it's like, oh, God, the Civil War. And they only, like, ever comment on it once. They're just like, this is dumb. Why are they they're fighting over a fucking bridge? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just love that cynicism added to it, where it's like, there's like, because, like, every time in American history, when an American talks about it, they glorify it. I like how they're just like, ah, oh, fucking... Yeah, that, this is happening anyways. Yeah, what was the ta- the tagline on the poster for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly was sick. I gotta look this up real quick. Yeah, it's a uh, fuck civil war. I just want treasure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was for these three men, the civil war wasn't hell. It was practice. Uh, Lawton's initial thought after reading the novel was to cast himself in the role of the preacher, but Gregory convinced him that no studio would finance a film unless they cast someone else. Uh, Lawton considered casting Gary Gary Cooper, John Carradine, and Laurence Olivier, but Robert Mitchum was eager for the part of the preacher. When he auditioned, a moment that particularly impressed Charles Lawton was when Lawton described the character as a diabolical shit, and Mitchum promptly answered, present... What a cheeky little motherfucker. He would be fucking annoying at callbacks. Oh my god, if I was at a callback with some guy who did that, I'd just be like, fuck you. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. And, and like, they refer to the character's name like, oh, you're talking to me. Shut the fuck up. Uh, Lawton liked Mitchum for the role partly due to his sexual persona, but Grubb was concerned about the character of the preacher being considered sexual. Lawton told him, if you want to sell God, you have to be sexy. That's, That's- awesome. That's very. I think that's a. I think it comes through. It comes through very well that he's got that charm. Yeah, uh, love love that being so true. That that's basically how every religion's ever been sold. Is that someone's like, hey, you'd get a bunch of wives if you joined us. That's how. Um, that's how uh, Christianity got big. Was uh, Jesus's like sweat and hot abs? That was another hot Christianity take. <laughs> uh, Agnes Moorhead, Grace Kelly, and Betty Grable were all considered for the role of Willa Harper. In the end, Lawton chose Shelley Winters because he felt she had a vulnerable quality and was more of a serious actor than a movie star. And according to my mom, very busted. I watched Night of the Hunter with my mom like a year ago, and she just kept, anytime Shelley Winters was on screen, she just go, she's just not good looking. So mean. I know, I was like, that's damn. That's not fair. Let that's her like... live, she's fine. What are you talking about? 
You know, it's bad. It's not true. Like at at worst, you would be like, oh, she's like, you know, a high up six, but more likely, you know, a solid eight to nine. Yeah, she's also they're like dressing her like a depression era, just like home wife. Like, yeah, she's not drop dead, but like and later on, she's supposed to be like not wearing makeup and not wearing good clothes. Like she's they're actively trying to make her look worse. They're frumping her up a little bit. Come on. I just had to mention that, that my mom thinks Shelly Winters is busted, and I gotta vouch for Shelly Winters. I don't think you're busted. I think you're a, a good-looking lady. I'm not gonna, like, be weird about it, but I'm sticking up for you. She appreciates it from beyond the grave. <laughs> uh, the director of photography was Stanley Cortez, who also shot Orson Welles' 1942 film The Magnificent Ambersons, or as I like to call it, the half-magnificent Ambersons. Oh, hot, hot, Amberson's hot take. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that plays, but Magnificent Anderson's game was a uh, Orson Welles's follow-up to Citizen Kane. It's basically Royal yeah. Tenenbaums, but in the '40s. And then they just like took the movie away, mangled the ending, slapped some new shit on. It sucks so hard, uh, but the rest of the movie is pretty good, and you can tell it's just been botched. And they've never found the original film, and it's one of cinema's greatest mysteries. What could have been? With the uh, with the the DP, I looked him up while well, after the watching the movie, and it's crazy how many movies actually did get made back in the day. Because like I looked through, and the only notable things he did were the Magnuson Ambersons and uh, this movie, and everything else on IMDb was just a full on like five, five, five point five, <laughs> six, and then back down to fives. Like you could just have a whole career. You could be considered the best DP ever, but you only shot two really good movies. Well, even back then, you know, probably like the worst shot movie in 1943 looks better than most trash release now. Like, yeah. compare any movie shot on film to The Flash, and it's going to look better. How oh, no. dare Back you? The baby shit. was in the microwave. That baby yeah, that was, was in that the was microwave. That was an amazing, that was, that was a cinematic, mat. like, yeah, that shot alone, with Ezra Miller doing it. All right, you're off the podcast now too, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what it did, it. Uh, whatever. Yeah, Lawton drew on the harsh, angular look of German Expressionist films in the 1920s, which is especially noticeable in the art direction by Hilliard Brown. He had the idea that children notice only certain details of their surroundings that they are focused on, which is why some set pieces are somewhat abstract and minimal. Neon lights that are not attached to a particular store, white picket fences that are not surrounding any house, the barn along the river that looks like a painting, and the chapel-like parents' bedroom. That's what I was fucking talking about! Classic. Sorry, I got a slack from work. I'm paying attention, I promise. We need your <laughs> utmost attention to this. Yeah, yeah, German expressionism, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> what are they expressing? But yeah, I just, that's, like, Skinamarink kind of does that too, where it's just like a room, but not everything's there, and that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. That's the, it's, it looks familiar enough, but it's just not completely there, which makes you want to know what's missing it but you can't tell gabe you should watch skinamarink i don't know if you'd like it i don't know if anyone would no, like it you, you, you try to sell me on it and you said yeah it's um just open shots with sounds and you never really see anything it's I, yeah I was, it's I was, I was like, of, you sold me on it hey jay that, that did it i know it's one of those like <laughs> i can't really sell anyone on it other than like the best way to watch it is in your room at night with the door open and there's like noises in your hallway that's how I watched it. And I was like, it's kind of, it's kind of scary. But everyone else is like, this is the most boring crap ever. I'm like, eh, I mean, you're probably right. 
just didn't like the part where Ashton Kutcher came out and said, you just got skinmarinked. <laughs> he didn't like the part where Ashton Kutcher came out and defended his friend as a good father. He said he's a classic skinmarink, and I just, I can't help it. <laughs> Look, you can't take skinmarink away from his children. He kept me clean of drugs. What? What's going with Ashton Kutcher? I'm, I'm not a little oh, that, He, he a wrote a letter thing. to a judge about his friend skinmarink. Okay. <laughs> And then him and Mila Kunis had to do an apology video where they apologized for uh, speaking on behalf of Skinmarink because, you know, Skinmarink is a horror movie monster, <laughs> but he always had his lines memorized. Yep. Um, the Night of the Hunter was a total flop with both audiences and critics at its initial release and Lawton never directed another film. The fucking hack flop loser. Uh, Bosley Crowther of the New York Times called the film a weird and intriguing endeavor, adding, unfortunately, the story and the thesis presented by Mr. Grubb had to be carried through by Mr. Lawton to a finish, and it is here that he goes wrong. For the evolution of the melodrama, after the threatened, frightened children flee home, angles off into the allegorical contrast to the forces of evil and good. Sorry, my jaw locked up. I wasn't doing a voice. Uh, Gene Arneal of Variety summarized, the relentless terror of Davis Grubb's novel got away from Paul Gregory and Charles Lawton in their translation of Night of the Hunter. This start for Gregory as producer and Lawton as director is rich in promise, but the completed product, bewitching at times, loses sustained drive via too many offbeat touches that have a misty effect. A lot of love for Davis Grubb. I didn't realize he was so beloved in his time. I mean, if they optioned this novel like within a year of it coming out, clearly people liked it. Like They knew it was going to be a hit, so that might have been part of what made people feel like they didn't like it as much if people were looking at the novel being like this is how i imagine it and then Charles not not like, my powell hashtag not my powell <laughs> yeah they had like oh my god i just looked up a picture of davis grubb i suggest you all do as well he is swagged out davis grubb Oof. yeah okay nice yeah i love the idea of like some true crime girlfriends reading night of the hunter before it comes out and like fan casting <laughs> their own version and then just being disappointed when this gets released it's like the modern day version of i'll have addy insert a book here but it's like they're like yeah i mean robert mission's fine but god we would have loved to have seen Lawrence olivier <laughs> olivier was the chalamet of his time uh, the Legion of Decency gave the film a B because it degraded marriage, and the Protestant Motion Picture Council rated it objectionable, saying that any religious person would be offended by it. I would love to make a movie someday that gets called objectionable by the Protestant Motion Picture Council. <laughs> but like, how does it degrade marriage? A bad man married a woman. Like, it's not marriage's fault that that happened. Yeah, true. I mean, he he marries just for money, so I guess he degrades marriage. Yeah, they're not it's not like saying the institution is bad they're just saying oh this bad person it is i mean it does wrong. show that he was able to main like gain ownership of two children just by marrying a woman and then killing her two days later true i guess that is uh <laughs> no uh, questions asked which did they ever actually oh no they did find her i was like because they keep saying well, birdie, she's missing the whole time birdie then, found her and said nothing about it they're gonna what? blame old birdie <laughs> no, at some point at some point birdie did at least turn her in turn her up because you know when they arrest him they're like you're arrested for the murder of uh of the mom of woman of woman 
Listen, I remember Shelly Winters. I, I don't remember. Willa, that's her. You're arrested Willa. for the yeah, murder yeah. of a woman. You will serve 30 days in jail. <laughs> yes, you can keep your knife. Um, yeah, Lawton took this commercial failure of his first film personally and never attempted to make another film. What a fucking baby. <laughs> Come on. You're going to take it personally, crybaby? Yeah. Yeah, you get back on that horse. Come on, Charles Lawton, you lazy bones. What are you up to? Dead? Come on, someone's gotta gotta sing to him a little. Leaning, leaning, leaning for the everlasting light. He died seven years after the movie came out, so I guess he didn't have a whole lot of time left. Hopefully, he spent it with like family and loved ones. Yeah, and I bet he kept acting, so I'm sure he did like fine in that regard. Yeah. Um. All right, we're gonna do a few pieces of Marie and trivia net now. <laughs> I hate that title so much. Like, I I wanted <laughs> to change it. it. I had another name for it, and yeah, then I was yelled I at because I was gonna change it. I think I think uh, Addy started yelling at you about it, and then I was like, "Yeah, keep it." I'll I'll, I'll do some brainstorming. <laughs> I'll think of a good a good uh, trivia uh, alternative. Night of the trivia, night of the living trivia. Later on in life, Robert Mitchum, who was usually indifferent to such matters, said that Charles Lawton was his favorite director and indicated that this was his favorite of the movies in which he had acted. No, That's good. So it goes to show that he should have made more movies. Yeah, Maybe. Charles, you fucking hack. Crybaby loser. Chucky, Chucky Lawton. Or like Charles laughing because you got me laughing at how much of a baby you are. Oh shit, fucking get him. <laughs> This is the type of tone we like to take when covering these movies on Criteria Cast. Yeah. <laughs> I think this should be like the extra bonus feature on the Criterion disc of Night of the Hunter. Bullying him. Oh, I can only make one movie. Oh, only got one movie made. <laughs> yeah, he's, he died. He can't do a commentary track himself. He might as well get this one. <laughs> it's like, oh, I like that movie of yours, Charles. Can I see your other one? Oh, wait. Oh. Wait. Night of the no sequel. <laughs> you know, you have such an impressive filmography. A whole one movie. Oh, it'd take you forever to make that. To be fair, one and done, and it's the best, and it's a good one. That's a, that's a solid career. Yeah, he's got a pretty good batting average, I guess. But it's also <laughs> like, you know, so. We call him the uh, the John Cazale of the 50s. John Gazelle had a better run than Charles Lawton. I'm going to put True. that out there. He did have five movies, and all five of those were bangers. So I guess... He had five movies, two of which were Godfathers. Like, you know, all... no offense, Charles, but... <laughs> yeah. All five nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And what, wasn't one of them, like, released after he died? It was... God was Does Godfather 3 count towards that? Because I know he's no, like... No, because he, he wasn't... <laughs> well, I guess that was archive footage, so he, that might count. But uh, it was those two, Dog Day Afternoon... I think he was in the deer hunter yeah he's in the deer uh, hunter and what's his fifth one uh kramer versus audience, kramer i don't know <laughs> audience to come up with the fifth john kazale movie yeah. yeah type in below if you text anyone on this podcast what the fifth john kazale movie is we'll send you a million dollars oh i looked john it up kazale's money. okay the fifth one is also a banger but i'm not gonna say it or i'm gonna say it <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, that's great. Hot take, better than Godfather 2. I mean, just the fact that Francis Ford Coppola could make <laughs> and Godfather 2 in the same year is an insane feat. Yeah, he made two of those yeah. in the same year, and fucking Charles Lawton could only make one movie in his entire <laughs> life. life. 
Yeah, get good, baby. dude. You come on to my show with your one movie. Like, oh, I made uh, an influential horror movie. Okay, what else have you done for me? Uh, not much. I haven't ever seen him act before. Yeah, true. Maybe, maybe he was like a really good actor. And I'm just being mean. I have to. I think he won an Oscar, so maybe he's a good actor. He won an Oscar for directing. Oh wait, no. Oh. No. Oh, where the fuck? Uh, at their initial meeting, Lily and Gish asked Charles Lawton why he never directed another movie. Oh, no, I mean, at their initial <laughs> meeting, Lily and Gish asked Charles Lawton why he wanted her for the part. And he replied, when I first went to the movies, they sat in their seats straight and leaned forward. Now they slump down with their heads back and eat candy and popcorn. I want them to sit up straight again. Nice. What the fuck like that means? Martin Scorsese. Yeah, today. <laughs> yeah, they they are on their TikToks. They're on their phones. Their superhero movies. Scorsese just came out shooting at superhero movies again, and he's right to do so. I mean, yeah, it's uh, obviously yeah. he's right, but it's, it's just right. like no no living filmmaker has done more for the preservation of film and like the widespread uh, recognition of film outside of America than Martin Scorsese. And yet he comes out and he's like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't just make blue beetles. And everyone's like, what do you even know? Director of Goodfellas raging bull. What do you know about movies? You don't know shit. Ant-Man three. I mean, he literally got a cameo in Kurosawa's dreams. Cause he's so respected by Kurosawa. So it's like, even the OGs are like, love this guy. I think we should maybe give him a bit of like leniency on that. Yeah. I mean, I think he's probably just, like, saying that. I think he means the studio system rather than, like, superhero movies themselves. So, like, I think people are extrapolating being like, oh, he blames Iron Man 2 for the fall of civilization. I mean, I do. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of... Yeah, no, if you read read his latest quote, he says, like, you should look to directors like Christopher Nolan on how to make big blockbuster movies, like, specifically because he was able to make Batman movies that still felt like they were made like a human. But everyone's like, oh, but you didn't like Secret Invasion? I mean, is there a human (laughs) being alive that likes Secret Invasion? Yeah. Someone would have had to have seen Secret Invasion. Fun fact, I did watch Secret Invasion. You watched Sam? Why? Because I tried and... It's, it is as disappointing as you do. It might even be more disappointing than people are saying that it is. So you're just like an omnivore cinema. You, you'll watch anything it feels yeah, like. Yeah, I'll watch anything. Yeah, I, okay, I, I, yeah. There's, there, there are good MCU movies, and I will accept this. Cool. However, yeah. there, none of them are Night of the Hunter because they can't be Night of the Hunter because Charles Lawton couldn't have directed any of them. <laughs> yeah, Charles Lawton couldn't have made Ant-Man too. <laughs> Fucking hack. What if, yeah, what if all these years later, Scorsese came out swinging against, like, Night of the Hunter? Like, we can't let every movie be made by a one-time filmmaker hack. <laughs> Public Enemy number one is Charles Lawton on this podcast now. It should be. Because he made a movie I really like and then never made another one. Yeah, it's his fault for making me sad that I can't have more. I'm every fan of anything ever. You gave me something I like, but you didn't give me more. Yeah. Where's the sequel? We need three more of these. Um, Charles Lawton reportedly worked well with the boy playing John, but did not get along with the girl playing Pearl, and shouted at her on occasion. As Lawton had the camera continue to roll after the scenes were finished, the camera often caught her reacting to him. Some of these outtakes were used in the final editing process as reaction shots. I assume it's probably one of the shots where she's crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Where this man made a little girl cry. You know, I guess you got one movie in you, get everything out of your system. Maybe he knew the whole time it was just going to be a one and done type of thing. And he's like, you know what? 
I can make a little girl cry. He's like, when am I going to get this opportunity? <laughs> At the rap I, party, maybe? It's like, oh, I'm not going to make another movie. He even did the voice, too, and made fun of himself. He's like, Charles, you blew it. Well, the only way to turn this situation up, yell at a child. <laughs> it's the only way to feel better. <laughs> um, one day, Robert Mitchum arrived on set drunk, and producer Paul Gregory told him that he was in no condition to work. Mitchum took umbrage to this and walked over to the producer's Cadillac, opened the front door, and urinated on the front seat. <laughs> I always wonder if stories like these happen on, like, you know sets today because like there's so much of that in like the 40s and 50s where it's like ah these big movie stars went off and got drunk and just like disappeared for days on end like i mean yeah johnny depp yeah like, there you go <laughs> but like 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 well publicized because like you know you get your you get your uh he who shall not be named from suicide squad sending his castmates you know dead things and being a real uh pistol but yeah, like, but that, you know. that, that was that was cringe. Pissing in your director's car is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a power move at least. Yeah, you got to be swapping of, like, fluids with your director to hold anyway. Like when Bjork would just spit on Lars von Trier every yeah. day. <laughs> like if somebody just like pissed on Stanley Kubrick's chessboard, it'd be like, okay, so well, yeah, he's he's got it. He's the alpha. Shelley yeah. Duvall would have really gone a long way if she had just pissed on his chessboard. Yeah, it's her fault, is what Gabe is saying. Not yeah. me. Gabe she, she said had, that. Not me. Yeah, she, had, a, she had the golden opportunity to start pissing on stuff, and she, she missed it. I don't talk about golden and piss. That's going to give people ideas. <laughs> leaning, leaning. Uh, you guys want some bad letter boys? What's bad letter boys? Yeah, we're bad yeah. letter boys. No, bad letter boys is when I pull bad reviews from Letterboxd for us to make fun of them. Oh, good. Yeah, this is our, this is our last segment that we're going to do. Final thoughts, and then we're gonna shit on Charles Lawton some more. Dude. Uh, so this first review, <laughs> sorry, I just read the dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I just read the what the guy's profile name is. Sorry. Okay, hold on. <laughs> this first review is from the Rogue Critic. Oh, nice. I hope you have a YouTube <laughs> channel. Okay, so the rogue critic says, film contains many plot conveniences and plot holes, which are exacerbated by the hurried pace, also has many random story details, scenes, and character arcs, dumb opening sequence, and horrendous third act, acting and script are often clunky, story flow is also poor, a terrible and cheap film, rating F. Like, some of it kind of makes sense, but like, yeah. I've never seen a movie made before the year 2008. And there like, wasn't even color in this one. Like it, that's the style, man, my guy. Have you ever seen a parody of 1950s movies? Listen, like, that's, that's why he's a... the rogue critic. He will say things that publications won't print. He's willing to go rogue to get his point out. I also need to like just plot holes. Everyone get get off your high horse with plot holes. You're watching a movie. Yeah, Everything is out. contrived to make things happen. Like unless it's egregiously stupid. Like the movie needs to happen. Just let 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 this guy happen to be cellmates with this guy's these kids' dad. Yeah. Let yeah, that's not a, to... that's not a plot. That's just objectively not a plot hole. That's just like a plot. It's that's why the story happens is because that is because of a, a a convenience. Yeah, and even like when he finds the kids again, it's not actually like a plot hole where it's like, oh, he conveniently ended up in the in the city that they end up in. Is like, no, he. 
He used his cunning and his skills to figure out where they were. He's bad at executing, but he knows how to find these people. Yeah, it's also like the old South. It's probably like one town, 10 miles of dust, another town. Like, yeah. I, it's again, not that hard to track people down. Also, it's there's well, no, it, it's incredibly easy. It's a river. You just follow the river. Yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't have gone super far because if they are their children, they couldn't have gone far from the river. So you go down the houses that are along the river. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you, rogue critic. <laughs> go back to your organization. Rogue critic can go into a river and tied to a car. Yeah, rogue <laughs> critic, you can die. Um, the, this next review comes from Milan O'Colino. They say, false and stereotypical portrayal of Southerners. I don't think uh, it was all that stereotypical. I didn't see like too much like... Well, I say, I say, I say. Yeah, I didn't see any of that shit. The thing is, oh. I, did, yeah, I didn't see any offensive st- as As someone from the South, and I assume you guys from a rural Midwestern part, I don't assume you were not offended by the... This was pretty fucking spot on to how yeah. like yeah, people in a small ass <laughs> town talk. Just like, yeah. oh, well, he goes to church. Yeah. He must be good. Oh, yeah. I, well, one little fact that I, didn't, I wanted to talk about was how brutal those kids were getting bullied there. Oh my god, fun. yeah, they're yeah, just like, oh, yeah, your, your dad got hanged. <laughs> oh, no, and then the adults joined in, they're like, oh, you piece of shit, dad, where he put the money, you little fuckers. It's like, <laughs> we, we, the kids are one thing, the adults joining in too, where you gotta, you gotta draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, as someone who, like, teaches kids and is around kids 40 hours a week. Pretty accurate. I'm, I, I, will, I I can't say I would I would not turn a blind eye if like some shit ass kid was getting made fun of. <laughs> Every <laughs> now and then, you just have to let it play out. Yeah, that's true. There's certain character building bullying. Uh, yeah. I just, I just think your dead dad is probably not one of those moments. <laughs> god, oh my god! There was one time I had to break up this fight between kids because they were making fun of this kid whose dad had just died of cancer. Was that was just that was when I learned how cruel the world can be. They're like, where's your dad? Too soon. I'm like, you can't say that. <laughs> what? I was just flabbergasted. I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like, go to the office? <laughs> this is beyond me. Yeah, that's... Go to Jesus? Come on, get yeah. some help. I am a recess monitor. I cannot fix who you are as a person. Yeah, they're pretty much a lost cause at that point. Um. All right, this next review. Oh, this next review... It's like homophobic, but I don't understand why it's I'm going to say it. There's no like slurs or anything, but I'm just going to read it. So it comes from Turd Roy. Uh, <laughs> so many good names today. <laughs> it's, it's no the rogue critic. But <laughs> also, Turd, Turd Roy is my favorite sibling from Succession. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. Um, so Turd Roy says, The Goonies meets of mice and men. This movie sucked butt. Watch that movie with the gay mice that live in the clock instead. What's he referencing on that one? Watch that movie with the gay what, mice what, that what, live what, in the what, clock instead. No fucking clue. That, what? Yeah, what does that, that mean? Is what? that the great mouse detective? What does like, that have to do I'm with... Trying to, it's not I'm even trying closely to think of, related. I know, but I'm trying to think of movies with mice and clocks, and that's yeah, yeah, movies with gay mice. What, what movies with gay mice? There's cats. Um, Wait, I also got distracted by the gay mice bit. What were the, what were the actual con- like uh, things against the movie that it said? Uh, it was that it sucked butt. 
That's what he said. Well, Turd Roy, Turd Roy, said the Goonies meets of mice and men. Oh, I forgot to say, edit Christmas. This movie sucked butt. Watch that movie with the gay mice that lived in the clock instead. Yeah, what the fuck's going I, on with that last bit there? I, I think this person's just got a lot going on in their personal life, and they're just taking it out on Hunter. <laughs> Also, I don't really see the Goonies angle on this one. I guess it's because they're kids, Gabe. Because they're kids. Oh, it, of but course, like yeah. kids going on an adventure. You could say "Stand by Me." You could Stand say "Stand by Me" works. Yeah, like, you do "Catch That Kid" from two thousand six. Great movie with Kristen Stewart and Corbin Blue. Okay, there's a reason why <laughs> some critics go rogue and some don't. Like clearly, this guy isn't ready to go rogue. And listen, he's turd Roy. His dad just told him he can't be CEO of the company. So like, there's <laughs> you're a not lot you're on. not a killer. You're a turder. Just, I'm sorry. The rogue critic is making me laugh so much. <laughs> I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna follow the rogue critic. They've got to become a, a staple on this show. I just love that edgy film boys is like a meme now, but people haven't stopped being those things. <laughs> oh wait, wait! I gotta read what the rogue critic's bio is. Controversial film criticism. Oh, wait, what are his top four? Uh, okay, yeah. his top four are kind of bangers. Uh, 12 Angry Men, Seven Samurai, Rebecca, uh, Lord of the Rings. Which one? The Fellowship of the Ring. All right. I was uh, like, that's, that's the if, better if he was going If he was going rogue, though, Two Towers has to be where you go rogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think that was the one Two the Towers. Yeah. These are very rogue favorites to have. Like, they're pretty well-acclaimed movies. I don't know. It's starting to sound like he's part of an organization. I'm going to look up. Okay. Critics. Okay. Yeah. I, I think this should just turn into a full segment. Uh, you should do this a segment actually now the for rogue. every movie after. Figure out if the rogue critic has reviewed the movie you yeah, are doing, and then and then see it. Oh yeah, there's I'm movies I see that. he's reviewed that we're going to cover eventually. But I'm going to list some movies that he's given half a star. I, I should say that I don't know if the rogue critic yeah. is. So uh, yeah, that was just assuming that a, sh- a shitty film critic was a man, which is a fair assumption, though. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the rogue critic has given half star F ratings to the following movies: uh, The Incredibles, Judgment at Nuremberg, There Will Be Blood, No Country what? for okay, Old fuck Men, this guy. Fuck this The guy. Godfather, Taxi Driver, Come and See, Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. Okay, this critic goes rogue. This guy's just an asshole. Wait, what's his? What's his? Uh, what's his? There will be blood. Does he have like a yeah, reason please. underneath? Yeah, oh what's, yeah, what's no. There's review? full reviews for all of these. Okay, hold on. Let's see what the rogue critic has to say about there will be blood. <laughs> I just love that half is rating F. Judgment at Nuremberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's his uh, review of Triumph of the Will? Oof. <laughs> now that would be a rogue opinion that I don't want to read. <laughs> Try it with the will, three stars. All right, this is what the rogue critic says about There Will Be Blood. Though the film retains some interest through the central character's conflict, the film totally lacks a consistent plot, making its lengthy runtime and stark story flow tiresome. Opening sequence helpfully establishes setting and protagonist, though the origin of his son is a bit illogical. Very solid execution with some classical influences. Narrative flow is often disjointed with, si- with scenes progressing in an often disconnected manner. Blah, blah, blah. Dano is miscast. That one's... I need to have this person on the show. <laughs> Stop bullying Wait, me, Tom. Wait, sorry. Just... 
why why is that half a star if yeah they're complimenting like half of I, the movie yeah they seem very uh, a well-made yet pointless film with much wasted potential and which suffers from some content do they think that Upton Sinclair's Oil was just a bad novel that should have never been published and has not endured for a hundred years? Uh, I don't know. I don't have their Goodreads account. Oh, uh, we should have gotten that one up. Fuck. Um, uh, yeah, so we're we're going to be hearing more from the rogue critic going forward. Okay. I, like how he said, I like how he said the plot was, like how he said it was pointless. It's like, what do you, it's it's about greed. I don't know, what, you, what, are, you, what are you missing there? Yeah. I don't know, man. That's why we're confined in this podcast. We're not going rogue. We're we're set in our ways. <laughs> we are the in the box critics. Yeah, fuck, man. I wish I could be rogue. All right, this last bad letter boy comes from Timothy Kahn. Timothy Kahn says the little girl looks like Stewie Griffin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't really think so. But that's a very funny thing to say. <laughs> Are you, do you, are you do you are you familiar with Family Guy, Sam? Yes, I'm familiar oh, yes. with Family Guy. All right, cool. Then we can <laughs> do uh, a segment that we haven't done on the show in a while, but is a fan favorite of ours. I'm vamping while I pull up the PowerPoint. I wasn't gonna do it if you didn't know it because it would have ground the episode to a halt. I had it ready. Wow, <laughs> you fucking psycho! <laughs> do you have Family Guy like parodies ready every time, just in case someone? <laughs> Yeah, literally every episode we've ever done, I've had a Family Guy parody ready. And then we're like, oh, you, you don't watch Family, Family Guy? Never mind. Up. <laughs> no, this one, I was like, oh, this could work. But I had to check to make sure. Because if you hadn't seen Family Guy, it would have just been like the most awkward thing ever to sit through. <laughs> I think that's funnier if I don't know. Ah, Steve, get out of here. All right. Well, let's see who would play who. So we got, I have nine roles up on the board that we have to cast if Family Guy were to do a parody of it. Let's start. Let's start at the bottom. So, who would be the ex-husband who gets hung? Uh, we do Joe Swanson. Let's let's deliberate. Do we think maybe that could be Peter's role? Because if it's not, if this isn't Peter, then this is Peter. I will say. Yeah, no, I I think Peter has to be Powell. That yeah. just feels right. I'm I'm gonna make some debates when we get really? to Powell, but okay, okay. I'm just saying there's a different character that's got a good crooning voice that would want to horn in on someone's wife, but I'll let you guys oh, be the decider. You know I think dad, dad should actually be Quagmire. <laughs> the dad should be Quagmire. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll live with that. All right, that's Quagmire. Uh, then we have the two, uh, what is the name, that's, Cones? <laughs> Scoops? That's, what? Oh, Scoops, Scoops yeah. McGee. No, they're Spoons. I forgot spoons, their fucking name. Yeah. I was like, yeah, the Icy Cone, what's her name? <laughs> The the um, old couple, the ice cream shop owners. Should that be Lois's parents? Just because they're old. Could be Lois's parents. I think that's just a very base reading of their old. I well, would also, argue maybe assholes. Well, who were the character? Was it Mort and his wife owned the pharmacy? Yeah, that makes that sense. I was potentially thinking of Mort for Uncle Birdie, just as like an old guy who complains. But that could also easily be a Cleveland. Could be Herbert too. Herbert, yeah. Oh, yeah, we know. That's an obvious one. Her <laughs> it's got to be Herbert for the for Uncle Birdie. Yes. All right, so we got Herbert for Uncle Birdie. Uh, wait, what wait, do we wait, think wait, for wait, the wait, scoops? Before Birdie, I thought I thought Herbie would be kind of funny as uh, Mrs. Cooper, though, just to be fucked up. As Mrs. Cooper, you think so? <laughs> oh, to take, to take in the kids? That's the actually kids. really funny. Okay, yeah. Now let's do Herbert as Miss Cooper. So <laughs> Uncle Birdie. Uh, could that be, can we do like a crossover with the Cleveland show? That can be David Lynch. 
Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that works. That's David Lynch. Uh, I should have prepared yeah. the characters to put over them. Actually, the uh-huh. ice cream, the ice cream couple could be Peter and Lois if you don't want Peter to be Powell. I don't think Peter fits Powell. I gotta be real. Then yeah, um, maybe Peter and Lois are the are the ice cream couple. Yeah, they could be the ice cream couple. Um. Okay. So then, who do we have as Uncle Bertie? Could that be Joe? Could be Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Who Who's the most alcoholic and, and Family Guy aside from Peter? Oh, that narrows it down. <laughs> um. Uh, Jerome, the new bartender. Jerk, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jerome. <laughs> um. Mayor Adam West. Yeah. Uh, what if it's just Meg? Meg. <laughs> I feel like Meg would be oh. Shelly oh, Winters. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Um, and then we move on to the let's move on to the two kids. So we got Pearl and uh John. So someone did say that Stewie looks like Pearl, but I don't think he yeah. fits her personality wise. No. I don't think he needs to though. Like if we're doing the like family guy parody type of things, like I feel like it's Chris and, and uh Stewie. For the you're, kids you're spot yeah. on that's what i was gonna say too chris yeah. stewie all right so then we have that's meg all right i'm gonna stump i think brian should be powell <laughs> i forgot about brian brian uh, you know brian he rolls into town he's always crooning like leaning leaning okay, yeah. seth mcfarlane yeah. excuse it, to it, sing yeah. yeah that makes sense and it would be kind of like, because, uh, you know, Brian's an atheist, and it would be kind of a play, like, oh, the atheist is the one that's representing God. Yeah. All right, so this is our official cast. If I <laughs> say it wrong, please correct me, but we have Brian will be playing Powell. Meg will be playing, uh, what's her face, the mom? Willa. Willa. <laughs> Willa. Meg will be playing Willa. Uh, Herbert will be playing Miss Cooper. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Chris and Stewie will be John and Poyle. Uh Who do we have as Birdie? Was that Joe? That was Joe, yeah. Joe is Birdie. Uh, Peter and Lois are the scoops, the cones, whatever their name are, the spoons. The scoopies. The scoopies, the ice scoopies. Um, and then Quagmire is the dad. Nice. Wonderful. Okay. Well, those are all the segments I got. Let's do some final thoughts and then get the hell out of here. Uh, final thoughts. This is a good movie. Hot, hot takes again. <laughs> is that a hot Christian take or just a hot take? Uh, just a hot take. We'll get into hot Christian takes uh, in the next segment. Okay. Uh, I think uh, it's great. I, something we didn't get to talk about too much is that stri- my surprise favorite character that I actually think did really well acting and writing was actually the Willa character. Like, I loved seeing how she just fully accepted everything that happened in victory and in, uh, in quote-unquote victory when she decides to change her ways and then when she realizes she's going to die. It felt it felt very real and very right, uh, at least to me. And I, I thought that was uh, masterful work in that first, I guess, third that she's in the movie. Yeah, but she's just not very good looking. <laughs> I mean, listen, she's busted. <laughs> <laughs> my mom is straight up like the entire movie just kept saying that oh that was like her only comment and i felt so bad for shelly winters she's uh she, you know she's a great actress had a great character uh, yeah. i hope she was proud of it uh and everything else is just great besides a couple plot hole problems but besides that and how many balloons would you give it uh 
is there like a special ranking to like the types of balloons or is it just i don't know man you you, you figure it out just make a conversation jesus i guess <laughs> i guess i'd probably give it like a solid uh give it a solid four balloons and then like the fifth balloon is a little bit inflated okay okay if my right. scale is correct as to how many balloons i'm supposed to be giving things um if it's not i'll fix it in post uh okay. gabe um yeah this is a great watch um I did not expect it to have the artistic bent it did on the second act, which was really a pleasant, you know, uh, surprise. Uh, overall, I thought it had great acting. Um, and uh, I do get to go with the rogue critic on this one. This movie did have some serious flaws. Uh, you know, this rogue guy, he's just- Are you going so, rogue on me, Gabe? Going rogue, I'm going rogue. Wait, if you, if you join the rogue critic though, then you're not rogue, you're working together. Oh, fuck. Whoa, fuck. Dude, I didn't even think about that. Uh, anyways, I give this movie uh, 16 candles. Happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think this movie honks. Uh, it's fucking creepy. Creeps me out. Looks great. Uh, great creepy performances. I don't, know, don't have a whole lot to say. I like looking at it. I like watching it. It's probably going to be a seasonal favorite of mine. And I would give it a million out of a million and five. Nice. That's a that's high praise. Yeah, uh, I, that's why I'm not a rogue critic because I can't dish out these hot takes. But Sam, thank you so much for coming on and putting up with our goofballery. Of course, thank you for having me. I, I love the goofballery. I appreciate it. Bring me back for uh, for uh, a day of the hunter uh, next time around. <laughs> day of his, the prey. His hit sequel. Yeah. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I want to plug. Uh, Follow uh, Two Lemon at everything. Some things are Two Lemon Productions, some things are whatever. We're, we're, we're funny guys. We're filmmakers. If you need us to do a music video for you, you need, you need, your, uh, you need a comedy sketch to be filmed. Uh, go for it. We're cool guys. Uh, and uh, I want to also plug uh, Pasquale's Pizza. Uh, that's actually just the uh, Chuck E. Cheese uh, name brand if it's not Chuck E. Cheese. Interesting. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely plug two lemon, use them. I can vouch for their professionalism as well as like being able to hang. Um, yeah, we, we can hang, we can do whatever. Yeah, they can hang. They're not going to go rogue on you. That's a plus as well. Yeah. We will critic you, but we will not go rogue. Yeah. Uh, it's you, you gotta, have you have to preface plug? that these days. Yeah. Um, what about your plugs? What do you, what do you guys want to plug on your own show? <laughs> um i didn't have it ready but i have this plug it's my, my laptop charger <laughs> uh that was me trying to go rogue um i'm just gonna drag it out so that when i'm editing this later i hate i hate myself in the past for <laughs> oh are we at the end of the episode yet i don't know now nah, we are uh thank you all for listening be sure to come back next week we'll be talking about the japanese horror movie house a Ooh. fucking crazy ass movie uh and as always be sure to like review comment don't go rogue but uh, send this to your friends loved ones family members you haven't spoken to in years follow us on spotify instagram youtube gabe's been working hard at that just send us a text every now and then to check in on us make sure we're doing okay uh be kind to those treat others with respect the way you'd want to be treated uh and enjoy this spooky season and we'll see you uh, in the asylum, because it's Halloween! Ah! <laughs>